the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Holastic. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Holastic, and I will be your host today for the Nonprofit MBA Podcast. I am co-founder of Financing Solutions. We've been in business for over 11 years, and we are the leading provider of small lines of credit to small nonprofits in the United States. Uh, If you're interested in potentially learning more about our line of credit program, which is very popular, please visit us at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Again, that's nonprofit at vapodcast.com. Today, I'm excited to be speaking with three people. It's the first time on any of my podcasts in over you know, 300 podcasts. I've, always, I've ever had three people on the podcast together, which I think is going to be fun and great. I have uh, Mark Rothman, Matt Harris, and Jen Tomo from Walk With Sally. Mark is the acting executive director, Matt is the development director, and Jen is the program manager. Uh, Just for you guys, uh, our listeners to know, Walk With Sally provides hope through uh, individualized mentoring and community support services to empower children experiencing trauma through a parent, guardian, or sibling cancer journey. And... um, having uh, the fact that I lost my wife unexpectedly last year. Um, wow. I'm so sorry to hear, Stephen. Thank you. Um, and I have a 13-year-old son and a 22-year-old son. Um, I know the value of having a support group. Um, and for our listeners, I uh, the group that helped us greatly was a gr- group called Good Grief, which is for um, people who have families that have lost their siblings, um, or I'm sorry, have lost siblings or spouses. So um, I'm a big proponent of uh, what Mark, Matt, and Jen and their organization does. And I want to welcome all three of you to today's nonprofit MBA podcast. We're thrilled to be here. Thank Thanks for having, having us. us. Yeah, thank you. Just one quick, quick correction Matt's last name is, is Harms. Harms. What did I say, Hams? Harris. So, you know, today's topic is, you know, how a small nonprofit positions itself for the future. And so, uh, you know, Mark, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about, you know, the journey of and, and relating to the subject matter of how nonprofit, uh, small nonprofit positions for the future, how Walk With Sally you know, what, what was your life cycle like as an organization that really made you aware of the importance of um, positioning yourselves? It's a great question, Stephen. It really starts out as a response to the need. And, and really, it starts with the personal experience of our founder, a man named Nick Arquette, who lost his mother to cancer when he was a, a, young, a young, young man. And years go by, he, you know, he had his trauma, he lived with it, and he started working with a young man at a local high school. We're in the Southern California area. And he saw, he just sort of one-on-one, he just sort of became a role model in that young man's life. And he saw the transformation that his relationship created for this young man. He, he went from underperforming in high school, he went from being under-socialized and not happy and really just burdened by the trauma that you, unfortunately, and your uh, sons have experienced personally 
that happens when we lose someone to cancer. And that was the that was the seed. That was the idea that said maybe there's something we can do. We can expand this and you know and grow it. Uh, and then 17 years later is where we are today. Nick had had been in a position where he'd been managing and running the organization for a long time. And like many of your small nonprofits, um, it was time for him to shift and move on to other aspects of his life and for the organization to shift and grow as well. And and there's a, you know, I'm, I'm an experienced nonprofit executive. I've led several organizations, particularly in the interim role. When they're transitioning this movement from a founder with great energy and passion to other leaders who have similar energy and passion, but the transition can be really difficult. And, and I want to talk specifically about what that means in terms of program. Because one of the things that we want to do, we've been very focused in the South Bay area in Southern California, and we want to grow. And I want to sort of turn it over to you, Jen, and talk about some of the growth pains that we've overcome and that we're still experiencing because, you know, there still are challenges ahead of us. Yeah, absolutely. I know that the whole world was impacted by COVID and us specifically. We had to jump in and help our families in ways we've never had before. A lot of our families couldn't afford rent, couldn't afford food, and we were able to jump in and provide that support. And one of the silver linings of the pandemic for us was that it became a virtual organization. We were able to connect with families we haven't been able to in the past. We were able to have Zoom calls with families in Santa Clarita and and areas that are hours away from us. So we were able to expand organically through the, this new virtual world. And that kind of opened the door for us to touch more families, make more connections with partnerships, families, mentors, and really grow our organization in an organic way. That kind of jump-started the transition. And then we intentionally started looking in those areas to expand in different ways as well. So Mark, is the turning point in the organization for positioning yourselves, did, did that inflection point happen when you came on as as an executive director, transitioning from the founder to you? Absolutely not. I am standing, all of us are standing on the shoulders of our founder who literally breathed life into this organization out of out of nothing. And and I I think I don't know enough of the history to say exactly when the inflection point was, but it was at the moment when he was able to scale it so that it wasn't just him matching children like your 13-year-old son with adults who have had their own cancer journey. And he was able to bring in a staff and he had enough of a income stream to support a larger expanded footprint of an organization. Yeah. Well, I, I think many there's, there's many inflection points in a organization. So you know, there's the finding, the founding of it. There's the building a staff so that the owner, the founder doesn't do everything. There's the, the point where you go from a small nonprofit to a large nonprofit. There's succession planning, right? There's all these inflection points in, inside of an organization. The, the interesting part, I think, is when you have an experienced person in the nonprofit sector who has been through all those phases, and then they come in and they know, oh, well, in order for us to get to this next phase, we have to go through this or this and this. And that's where experience matters. Uh, uh, fair enough. I, I think that's true. And I think that's that's where we are. And that's really the sort of one of the topics we're talking about. One of the aspects of the topics we're talking about today is how to as a small nonprofit transition. 
my job is to help shepherd the organization to its next leader who has that level of experience. For everything that Nick Arquette was able to do in founding this organization, he didn't live live through all those inflection points you just talked about, Stephen. He, yeah. you know, he learned as he went. And yeah. so what so he was what, able what, to create was amazing, but now we need a leader to come in who has seen that kind of life cycle that you're describing. What's the revenue of the organization right now? Our budget's a little bit under a million dollars. A million dollars. And so now that you're headed to, you know, trying to grow the organization, go more national or at least more regional anyway, um, you know, whose role does that kind of get into place? Uh, who's, who's, who's really in charge of trying to decide how you're going to get there? I, I think I want to turn that back to you, Jen, because it's really important that we re- that for everything that it takes to support an organization, it's really important that we remain program focused. And I think that what you're talking about, mm. Stephen, is really a, a program question. Yeah. So for us, we were lucky enough to receive a grant that helped us create an expansion plan. So our goal is to expand in Long Beach to start and then use that expansion plan to other cities. So over the next three years, we're planning to just focus on Long Beach, create partnerships, recruit families, recruit mentors. And once we reach those milestones, we can start expanding into other cities. Yeah, I tell you, it's such a correlation to the organization that I belong to in good grief. You know, I'm trying to get on their board right now. I'm going to first volunteer as a as a facilitator. Uh, so I'll be going through 36 hours of training in order to do that. But um, it, it it's 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 interesting to see, like the organization puts to get puts you together. Good grief, and I'm, I'm mentioning it because it correlates to what you guys are doing. And that is, at first, it puts you together with a group of 12 other people who are in similar circumstances as what's hap- what happens, right? But honestly, what the organization didn't do a good job what, with was setting me up with a mentor. And so I naturally became friendly with people in the group who I really thought we could support each other outside of the organization. So it was very much a mentor situation and that's kind of where we are right now. So I kind of wish my organization that I belong to did more mentoring like you guys are doing. Uh, So I, now, so the, and so with me potentially going on the board, I know that they, they want to expand, but in this world of virtual, uh, video, right? I don't know if there's a place anymore for uh, f- for having to have a building and meetings all in one place. Are you guys tackling that same issue? We, it's interesting, Stephen. We are on a one day a week uh, policy where we're in the office together one day a week, and then we're remote. We're all you know we're all connected, and I'm texting Matt you know four times a day. Right. Uh, and picking up the phone and calling him just to say, you know, quick question. Um, and we're making it work. But, the, but, the, but you know, it's, it also depends a little bit on the organization. It sounds like yeah. because of the groups that you described that Good Grief is managing, uh, you do need a location for those groups to come together. Yeah. And, and I think, Jen, you'd agree that we are also back in a transition where we're transitioning back to live meetings, where yeah. our, our part, our mentors 
Can you talk a little bit about what, about Absolutely. how they want to be together physically? Yes. So our goal is to bring the friendships together in person. However, we do leave that up to the comfortability of the families and the mentors, of course. But all of our programming is back to in person. So we meet monthly and we have fun events together. But then we also have some friendships who aren't comfortable doing that yet. So they still meet on Zoom or they talk on the phone. And then the beautiful thing is sometimes when the mentor moves away, that friendship closes. But now we're able to still facilitate that friendship and have that grow on a virtual level now. Yeah. So Matt, I know you're the brains of the outfit because you haven't said anything. <laughs> so t- tell me a little bit about your responsibility in, in a lot of this uh, organization. Sure. Uh, so a lot of my responsibility is focused, of course, on uh, raising funds uh, for for the organization. Uh, we do that primarily right now through, through three events. Uh, we have an event called the Friendship Bowl. We have an event called White, White Light, White Night. And we have another event called Breast Friends in the Fall. And within those that framework, uh, there is fundraising, individual giving, also grants, and uh, uh, really trying to, I'm really trying to stay focused on making sure that the organization is a position to diversify its fundraising. And so you've, you, we're, we've been primarily an event-focused uh, organization where a lot of our funds come from those three events. and. I'd love to see us get to a place where we have a focus on individual giving, where we have focus on our scholarship program, where there is a focus on building an endowment, uh, things that will create uh, a longer lifespan and a healthy financial uh, situation for, for the organization. Yeah. So I, I think the first thing, there's two words that come to mind for me when I think of scale for an organ, a nonprofit organization. The first thing is changing how fundraising is done because mm-hmm. it's on a completely different level, right? Right. Absolutely. That's the first thing. Yeah. And then the, the second thing of scale is uh, uh, depth or, uh, uh, you know, uh, what's the right word? You know, the fact that you're going regional fact that you're, you know, you might go national, you know, it's always a big picture there, but so there's kind of two parts. Is there, is, is that fair to say those two things are critical when you talk about scaling an organization? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, they are, um, you're talking about, you know, shifting your kind of mind, the kind of mindsets, um, of an organization and kind of shifting, the you know the the way it's you know fundraising has been done in the past and you're kind of shifting uh, to to something new you know whether it's you know you're focused on like I said individual giving um, and really kind of building those those partnerships uh, to where you can uh, where you do have enough revenue and can uh, break into a, you know a regional and, and eventually a national. Uh, organization similar to Make a Wish. Yeah. So uh, I just had a podcast yesterday on the nonprofit MBA podcast with the the position that the topic was building a, um, a, a, a 
a strategic plan. It wasn't the first time I've done that topic one. Uh, this one was more about in, engaging everybody in the strategic plan process. Let me ask you a question and, and, and uh, you can be blunt. And that is, how is your strategic planning? Is it, is, you know, did you see there, there's an inflection point. Did you see a point where it really started to be a big part of your organization where you were strategically planning? Is it still a work in progress where you still are not, you know, you're still trying to do it, but it's, it's not great or is it very advanced and you're really working on your strategic plan and you're implementing and executing on it? It's a great question, Stephen. Um, you know, nonprofits love to have strategic plans because they can be really important documents that set out what the three to five year future of the organization is going to look like. And, and I've done strategic plans, <clears throat> you know, as a nonprofit leader as well. I think that the danger you run into is that it becomes a gorgeous document that's in a sits in a three ring binder on the shelf. And nobody looks at again at again until three years later, and they say, "Oh, we better check. It's time to review it." And you know how have we how have we done? I think for Walk with Sally, I, I think we're at the end of our strategic plan cycle. I think that we need to move through this transition, uh, particularly in our in our leadership, bring in the permanent CEO, and I think that's the point where the board oh. can take up the question of what the next you know, three to five year strategic plan is going to look like. Well, I think I, you in know, the I short do term, a, let, let me just sorry. add one last thought is sure, please. As, as Matt was talking about in terms of diversifying our funding or Jen is talking about in terms of focusing on a particular area to really learn how to do that so we can scale. Those are strategic plan steps that are happening and they can happen without that sort of bigger cover of the strategic plan. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going to put my two cents in. I've done strategic plans for 25 years, and I get what you're saying. I, what I've learned over uh, the, that 25 plus years is uh, you want to have a one-page strategic plan. Mm. So you can do the binder to, to kind of get through the exercises of all everything, but you, you use a one-page strategic plan summary as your working document. Because when you get some, what I found is when, when a strategic plan gets to be eight, nine, 20 pages, no one looks at it. Exactly. Right? But a one page strategic plan sure, with you your mission, website, your culture. You can, right. Yeah. That and can in be fact, in every board packet for every meeting. That, that's actually, yeah. I, I, I've never heard that idea before. It's actually a really great idea. Well, it's it's uh, it comes from the business world, and that in is there's a guy by the name of Vern Harnish who's a very uh, well known cons uh, small business consulting company, and he uh, he has if you want if anybody wants to Google it, it's called a one page strategic plan, which he he copyrighted, and um, and I I'm on the board of a of a nonprofit called Ween Dream, which provides uh, um costumes to kids who can't afford them. And, uh, and I, I, they had no strategic plan. And so I took their, I took the one page strategic plan and that Vern had for businesses. And I, you know, literally could use 90% of it for the organization to create their strategic plan and, uh, you know, and then add th stuff to it. So, you know, if if anybody was listening, uh, of course, people are listening. If if you're interested, Google one page strategic plan, and it'll come up. And it's a free document. It's really good. In fact, I think I'm going to write 
Vern and say, Vern, can you turn this into a one for nonprofits? And, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's, 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 it's what I've used for 15 years now. And it's, it's, you know, you can have your KPIs on there, which is key performance indicator, your culture, your mission, uh, who you service, you know, all these other things. It's just, just an idea. So it, it sounds like to me, is it fair to say that you haven't done a ton of strategic planning? Yeah. Okay. I so think that's, that's fair. Yeah. And wh- why do you think that's the case? I think that the organization is, at, I think for much of the 17-year history before I came, it was a small organization where every it was all hands on deck, running the organization, managing the events that Matt talked about, supporting the programming, you know, the gens representing and, um, and it was, it was, let's get this done. Let's get to the end of the year. And and I think, and I'm sort of speaking, I'm sort of projecting here. I haven't, the board and I have never really talked about where their strategic plan process is. Yeah. Because again, because we are in this transition year where the goal is to move to our permanent leadership and and at the same time to keep all the events and all the programming going. Financially, did COVID have a big impact on your organization from a, a program standpoint? From a program standpoint, how would you say? Um, I'm I'm aware that some of the government grants got pulled. I'm aware that a lot of the corporations that were sponsoring us moved to more of a COVID sponsorship or a Black Lives Matter sponsorship. So we had to really shift gears and, and re-strategize. I'm yeah. not sure the numbers side of it, but I'm, yeah, I yeah. know that the strategy definitely had to be adjusted. Wow. That's a big challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I'm assuming that things are starting to kind of get back to on track Again, uh, or are you, are you having to reinvent the organization uh, all over again? We actually got very lucky. We were able to qualify for two PPP loans. Yeah. And we also, because our event sells tickets, we were able to um, apply for and obtain a, a, a SVOG, a small venue operating grants, VOG, from the front, through Small Business Administration. And those were critical to supporting us through COVID. So, uh Tell me the biggest challenge that you are now facing for trying to position or reposition uh, the organization. What's the biggest challenge you have right now? I think, Matt, your job is our biggest challenge, meaning that- Matt or his job? Meaning all the things, (laughs) all the things, not, I I said that wrong. No, no, Matt's got the biggest challenge in the organization. Yeah, yeah. Because as you were describing all the things you have to do- right. It's like you've, you're building the plane while you're flying it. We've got to keep all of our income streams consistent, but we've got to shift away to those diversified sources of funding. Absolutely. And also, uh, one of the big challenges that we're, we're facing is the, our, our event structure. Uh, the organization in the community uh, a lot of times is more well-known for its event than it is for its mission. Our White Light, White Night event, which is a fantastic, uh, fun, big gala that we put on every year. Uh, Our next one is August 20th. It is known as one of the premier events in the South Bay. The challenge with that is a lot of our attendees might not be aware that White Light, White Night goes to support the Walk with Sally mission. 
And so Mark and I uh, and Jen and the, the program team have really taken that on and really tried to kind of shift that uh, uh, sense of um, purpose to make sure that the community and people in the South Bay know that uh, uh, White Light, White Night supports Walk With Sally and that is what it's there for. And uh, so we're, that's one of the very interesting challenges uh, that, that we face uh, fundraising wise. Yeah, I don't, I, the, uh, the Good Grief organization that I, I go to or I did go to uh, is, uh, I think they're $5 million. But my understanding is they actually get money from the state of New Jersey. I'm in New Jersey. Uh, I'm sure they must have got somebody's ear. Uh, about the value, or maybe one of the politicians mm-hmm. went through what I, you know what I've went through, and uh, and you know made sure the state you know because it's for families and it's you know it's good. So, I mean, had uh, Matt have like I know this, I give money you know quite a bit to the organization, right? They they send out a simple email, you know, if, you know, and at the end of the year uh, last year I gave quite a bit of money that. My, do you do you do you think going the route of getting big donors who have been through a terrible event, uh, like so losing someone to cancer, is I you know, is an opportunity for fundraising? Oh yeah, I mean I think that's a great question, and I yes I think that that uh, is one of the avenues. Uh, to to go down. I I wouldn't want us to become so focused on that that yeah. um, because I could also see you know having like a celebrity or having a very well name known name in the political world you know support the organization also be an issue. Uh, I think there's a good balance there between the two between your kind of regular individual donor who you know cares the organization has been affected by cancer um because they're just as important if not more so than the celebrity uh i always tell the story about the 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 donor who gave a dollar every year to to an organization for for 20 years uh the donor passes away and in the will they bequest a million dollars to, to the organization. So I always look at examples like that as being uh, very important and a reason why you want to not focus so much on the big, the big, big donors who are important and absolutely are essential to, to helping your organization grow and, and do well financially. But I also think that the, the kind of just the regular individual run-of-the-mill donor is as important. And so I think it's, you have to strike a balance between the two. Yeah. But I, I think, you know, my guess is it fair to say, and I haven't done fundraising myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is it fair to say that a, uh, a, a fundraising, the fundraising events will get you to a million dollars in revenue. But then after that, it starts to be, you have to start looking at other avenues. Yep. Is, yeah, is that absolutely. fair? I don't know. I'm not. I'm not leading you. I just don't know. Right. Right. No. I think those events. Those events are hard to run, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they are. I mean, they yeah, are huge staff demands. There. Are, yeah, there, yeah. There are huge staff demands. There are, you know, many many moving pieces, and I think and 
when you rely so much on on one event, for example, to be the big revenue builder for for your organization, it can you know really kind of lessen, like I said before, the other important aspects of of fundraising, like individual giving, endowments, scholarships, things like that, things that we know can potentially yeah. do. Uh, because they are, you know, big events are are time consuming. They're staff killers. Um, they really, you know, you pretty much just live, sleep, and breathe. <laughs> you know, a gala event that you know is, is designed to help you, you know, to raise so much money to kind of get you through the rest of the year and to get you through your year. Uh, that by the time the event's over, there's no time for. The other things that are important. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. Now, uh, there are other organizations like Walk with Sally throughout the United States that have the same similar mission. Fair enough. Absolutely. Have you have you spoken to them about partnering, combining various different uh, ways of? building a, a, a bigger presence? We've definitely met with organizations that share a similar story than us. Um, we kind of mimic their recruitment process. We have very similar strategies in that aspect. Um, however, we do feel like in the South Bay specifically, we are the only organization that specifically does mentorship for children who are impacted by a loved one's cancer. So we do have to create our own strategy in most wow. aspects of the organization. So there aren't any other uh, uh, organizations in the United States that you know of that do mentorship for uh, cancer survivors? Not cancer survivors, but uh, for kids or, or parents who've lost a loved one for cancer. There's nothing like that out there. So we've only focused on partnerships within California because other national organizations have different strategies than we do. Um, So we haven't found a specific organization that does exactly what we're doing. Wow. Wow. I'm I'm really surprised. I'm really surprised. And and we see that in our, in our, in the partnerships that we have, Yeah. like our, like our program manager team just had a meeting with one of the local hospitals as a referral source, because obviously the hospital is going to know who's undergoing their their cancer journey, and they want to provide support to their patients. And so we can fill in that it's a tang, it's a tangential relationship, and we can fill in that need that that, yeah. that is not being provided by other organizations. Well, I mean, really, the the money that you raise goes to to really building the internal st- structure of the organization, which allows you to get, to get bigger, right? It doesn't. You have the quote unquote, I'm talking business for a second, lead generation program. Unfortunately, that's, you know, rough word because the hospitals, like uh, my school psychologist told me about good grief. So, you know, they don't have to get the word out to people because they just get it out to the school psychologist and the school psychologist tells everybody, right. They need it for their, for people like, you know, Matt and who is running the you know, and, and Jen and the people who are running the program inside that you need more of them to do the, to do the work. Is that accurate to say? Absolutely. And, and take it a step further, Jen, in terms of 
how we build. Yeah. So the way our strategy works is we have great relationships with the counselors, the social workers in school systems. We also have great relationships with the social workers, nurses, and doctors and hospitals. So we have amazing advocates throughout the entire city that is, you know, speaking our mission for us. So a lot of the times we get referrals directly to us instead of us creating those partnerships, you know, on the ground. Um, that's obviously 17 years of work where we have built that name in, in the South Bay specifically. So that's kind of how our partnerships work. We just kind of speak our mission to those schools, to those hospitals, to those nonprofits, and then they recruit families for us. But talk about your outreach as well. Yeah. So our outreach, um, specifically referring to... Like when you guys go to, you'll go to um, yeah, so we'll fairs, go to, they'll go to yeah, farmer's markets, you know. You're, you yeah. don't spend a lot of time in the office. Yeah, so we definitely are on the ground a lot of the times creating those partnerships in the areas that we haven't expanded to quite yet. So yeah, we'll go to fairs, farmers markets, concerts, anywhere where we can find mass amount of people and we'll definitely spread our mission. So I'm going to ask this question to each of you. Um, I think it's going to be the final question I'm going to ask. Um, uh, tell me during COVID what you learned about either your job, your organization, you know, anything having to do with the organization. Tell me what you learned during those challenging years, which is still challenging, but it's, we're coming out of it, we hope, right? So we'll start off with, with Jen. Jen, tell me first what you've yeah. learned during that experience. For me, it was definitely learning how to adapt. I think that we were so used to doing things a certain way and we were forced to change the way we did things. We were forced to re-strategize, support our families in ways that we've never had to support them. And it really kind of opened our eyes to zoom out a little bit on our organization and making sure that we're creating wraparound services for our families, not just the cancer they're dealing with, but other things in their lives that we can support them with. And then also just strategizing on expanding. Like I said, that kind of jump-started our expansion. We realized that we don't have to just focus on one specific area. We have the means, even though we're a small organization, we do have the resources and the means to expand to other areas. So my answer is definitely adaptability. Gotcha. Okay, Matt, you're up. All right. Uh, I would say in the fundraising side of things during uh, the pandemic and during COVID, it was creativity. The fact that you can use platforms like Zoom, like the one you were on right now, uh, to put fundraising events on and to do the same things that you, know, you would do in person. Uh, you just transfer them over to you know a digital uh, digital platform, but really the end result is, is still the same. Uh, you still have sponsorships. You can be creative with how you recognize sponsors on on a podcast or on a Zoom event. So things like that, I think, were really really fascinating, very very eye opening for me personally. Uh, kind of helping set those types of events up. So for me, it's definitely creativity. Gotcha. And Mark, your experience? I would say redesign. That it created the it created a freedom for us to think about how we would redesign the structure of the organization. Like to to really sort of think outside the box. I'm not if someone came to me tomorrow and said, you know, we need to give up the office. It's just, you know, it's a lot of rent. We're not using it regularly. Is, is it mission critical to our mission? 
And I would be open to saying, you know what? I, we do so much outside the office. Our program particularly is in the homes and in the parks and in, you know, in the, in the game centers where our mentors go to be with each other at the piers, at the beach. Whenever they're together, they're, in, they're doing our program. And so I would say, let's redesign, you know, it created for me the potential for how we could redesign an organization to create efficiency, shift funding that maybe is being spent in other areas over to the mission and the program where we really want it to be spent and, and give us yeah. the freedom to think out of, outside of the box. Yeah, I think uh, every business leader is struggling with that right now, right? I mean, the, you know, the, uh, you know, you don't want to blow the organization up either. You know, it's tough because you know, like you'd say, it's, okay, well, let's try for three years and reevaluate it, right? And we just got to hope that Mark stays there for three years, right? I know you're acting director, so, but uh, because it could be a real problem if the leader who made that decision actually left and then, you know, the organization. So I, I, yeah, I, I, I think the topic of having an office, not having an office, people working remotely, not working remotely, partial, I, I think it's fascinating. I really do. I mean, and, uh, and I'll, uh, you know, I'll tell you the, the story because it'll illustrate something. So 11 years ago when my business partner and I uh, started financing solutions, um, we were in the same office uh, and his office is right next to mine. And we, 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 we had been friends for 15 years. So it prior to that. And so he would come into my office and he'd sit down on my couch and I'd be in my chair like I am right now. And we would just, you know, we'd like say, we'd be talking about our weekend, like what went on. And all of a sudden it would start transitioning into business ideas or new things we're doing. And, you know, we would be there for two, two and a half hours, you know, it, and when we sometimes when we would have friends there, they said it was like watching a tennis match hmm. because your her head was going back and f- our, their heads were going back and forth between the ideas that we, me and Keith were coming up with and what we were doing. Well, three or four years later, uh, I mean, it was like five years later, he decided to move an hour and a half, two hours away. And so he started working out of his house and I stayed in the office and all those ideas went away. Mm-hmm. You know, as easy as it is to pick up the phone, as easy it is to have a Zoom call, those impromptu meetings and ideas went away. Yeah, no, you're right. So That's a huge loss. It, it was a huge loss. And, uh, the you know, in some regards, it wasn't bad because we already had our positioning. There's the magic word for today, right? We already knew what we we're doing. All we were really doing is really just executing more. But sometimes if you have to transition and those ideas are not flowing, I, you know, I think it hurt us more than, than helped us, honestly, mm-hmm. but we did, we did very well as we've done very well as an organization. But, um, but I, I, both he and, and I recognize how those ideas and those conversations completely went away. Yeah. Even no, so I much that I, like I even tried to schedule them. Mm-hmm. I'd say, okay, every Friday at 10 o'clock, we're going to have a brainstorm session. He, he hated that. He mm-hmm. wanted it more impromptu. Right. Plan spontaneity didn't work. Yeah. Like for me, I like structure. So it worked well. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, I mean, we have a committee event tonight for our, we have a committee meeting tonight for our white light, white night event. We hold it live. 
for some of the yeah. very reasons you're talking about. There are a couple yeah. of people who zoom in. Yeah. Uh, but it, that is a downside if we were to sort of explode the office model of what we'd be giving up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think it's going to be an interesting social experiment. I, I pay, I read a lot about the articles on it because I think it's a fascinating thing. I guess you could do what other people are doing, which is a hybrid model, right? You get a smaller office space. People are required to come in two, three days a week. You know, that's probably right. where everyone's going to go. And then we'll kind of see, I mean, even the, the companies like Google and Amazon and Tesla are backtracking on their idea that they have to, that they're forcing people to come in anymore. So um, you got to keep talent, right? So that's, that's the issue you have. Right. Well, it was a great discussion. I want to thank all of you for really kind of uh, coming on today to discuss uh, how positioning you, you know, from what I take, you can see where walk with Sally is in a, in the midst of deciding more about the nuts and bolts of where they, they kind of know where they want to go conceptually, but now I guess it comes down to, you know, figuring out, you know, and then executing on it. Is that fair to say, Mark? Execution, execution, execution. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it, it's well, what makes Tom Brady, Tom Brady. Well, it is, it's the key and it's not, it's not, it's the boring part. <laughs> it's the boring part, but it's the most important, right? Right. Um, so I'd like to think- when, it, when it works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'd like to thank uh, so very much Mark Rothman, uh, uh, Matt Harms, um, and Jen Tomo from um, from uh, uh, Walk with Sally for coming on today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And if you like today's podcast, please give us a review on your podcasting app because it really helps us get the word out. And it also it's how they rank. Uh, you know, the nonprofit MBA podcast keeps, it's been moving up like big time and it's because our reviews have been all five stars. So we really appreciate that. If you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Um, and then uh, Mark, if anybody wants to get in touch with you guys, how would they go about doing that? Walkwithsally.org is our website. And you can always reach us at info at walkwithsally.org. Great. Thanks, you guys, for coming on. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thanks so much, Stephen. Great good conversation. Luck on your, good luck on your journey. I uh, always end every podcast this way. I want to thank all of our listeners for doing all the hard work of making the world a better place. Um, I know that you guys are out there doing the heavy lifting and uh, people like me, we have a part in that too. We all have to do our best to be better human beings. We certainly, the world needs it, but you, uh, all our listeners out there are doing it every single day. And I thank you for that. Um, but you should make sure you take time for yourself and, uh, you know, you know, only as good to your organization and to your people as you are, um, as you take care of yourself, your health and all that, all the other stuff that goes along with it. So get outside, smell the roses, enjoy, uh, you know, the uh, time outside of your work. It'll make you better at your job. But thank you. And thank you for all listening. Everybody have a fantastic day. And it was great uh, hearing from the three people today on the Nonprofit MBA podcast. <laughs>